Welcome back, Peter. Good to see your lovely face. There you go. Okay, as we continue preaching through a bunch of psalms, if you would, please turn to Psalm 6. I'll be reading the sixth psalm. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shimoneth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O oh Lord, how long? Turn, O oh Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Blessed is the reading of God's holy and Holy Spirit-inspired prayer through his prophet David to our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our prayer lives. Father, allow this prayer that you have given to your church to embolden us, your children, to pray with a like-minded heart and confidence and freedom of safety in your arms. Let it live this morning. So help me as a teacher teach it. Help me say what's here. And, oh, we're desperate for your presence by your spirit. And applying it in various ways and in different ways to individual souls and circumstances in life. So do it, oh Lord. Amen. Psalms are a prayer book of songs. And they're there to teach us how to pray. 
to teach us what to pray, to teach us about prayer. The Psalms teach us to pray the prayers of worship, just adoration of our Lord. They're there to teach us to pray prayers of thanksgiving for, for all of His manifold grace and every benefit that we have. They're there to teach us the prayers of petition, to ask of the Lord. They're there to teach us the prayer of confession, of confession of our sins. And sometimes you have the model of Psalm 6 where you just plunge in to prayer from your own bed of tears. Soaked with pain. Soaked in your agony. Help! Oh Lord, How long? And so what we have before us this morning in Psalm 6 for that kind of prayer are three steps David gives us. First, is David opens with his own openness with God, with Yahweh, about his feelings, about his depression, about his anxiety, agony of his and or our situations. Then secondly, he turns to making his case, to arguing his case before the Lord, Deliver me because of X, Y, and Z. And then he closes his prayer with the assurance that he finds in God's grace, even before he has the answer to that prayer. So first, we notice in verses 1 to 3, he opens up the prayer with the mess that he's in. Oh Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? David's desperate. He thinks that God might be displeased with him. And thus, he's experiencing what he's experiencing. Oh Lord, if this is that, I'm asking you, don't rebuke me in your anger. 
Don't discipline me in in anger or wrath. And then in verse 2, he describes his problem. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for or because I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, because my bones are troubled. He's languishing, meaning he, he feels like he's, he's a leaf that has fallen and is, he's just withering away and he's had it, he's exhausted, he can't take it anymore, he's wiped out. Now, is he referring here to physical sickness or are these metaphors for internal Anxiety and depression or fear. We can't be sure from the context unless it includes both. It may be sickness. He says, heal me for my bones. They're languishing, they're withering, they're, they're, they're troubled. It may be from threats of enemies because in verse 8, when he, he says now, Lord's heard me. So enemies, foes, depart from me, you workers of evil. It may be the problem of fear. He says, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. And that Hebrew word translated troubled really means terrified. Terrified. And not only his bones, the next thing he says is my soul is also terrified. It's troubled. It's wringing its hands over this. Feel it constantly. So in other words, David's whole person is is terrified. Mixed with Is it because of my sin? In some way, you are disciplining me. That just adds, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, how long? And it's that how long? Because time is a problem. Length of his agony contributes to its intensity. We all know the experience of life. All kinds of dis- un- non-pleasurable experiences of heartache or chronic physical pain. Or with relationship problems, or with financial struggles, or having enemies who are antagonist to us in our lives, or, or the, the freedoms in our country being stripped from the individual and small businesses. Okay, Lord, I can, I can take it till the end of the month. But a month has passed. A year has passed. How long, oh Lord? How long will you allow this to go on? 
why don't you act? Give me some relief. So David's struggles are much, much like ours. We have struggles with life, with circumstances, and all of those areas. And then added to that is the reality that God himself could intervene. Just like that. And he has not. Not yet. How long? And what makes that worse for David is that he contemplates that this may be God's fatherly displeasure. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So what can David do? What can we do if we find ourselves with those thoughts and in that circumstance? We can pray. Verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, because I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, my bones troubled, terrified. In other words, he and we can go to our creator, to the sovereign one of the universe, to the loving, heavenly father of discipline and plead for grace. David did in 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 10. Please take this thorn in the flesh away from me. When kids are raised with a loving, wise father who disciplines them, even though the strap stings, those kids don't run from dad very long after the spanking. They crawl up into his lap knowing that the one who caused the sting has loving arms always open to the child cares about. And David knows that. He knows God who does spank. He also heals. So be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me. O oh Lord, for my bones are troubled. 250 years after that psalm was written, the prophet Isaiah reflects David's view of God in Isaiah 19, verse 22. 
and Yahweh will strike Egypt. Striking and healing. And they will return to Yahweh. And he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. So David opens his prayer first with his plight, with the openness of his own emotions and feelings on the situation and just lays them before the Lord. And then that leads him in to arguing his case before God in verses 4 through 7. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me. And here they come. For, because, do it this way. For the sake of my tears. That's what he wants deliverance from. But that's not how he argued in his first argument. Do it for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who's going to give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So in other words, here's why you should deliver me from my misery from the threat of my enemies and threat of death and from my tears, here's why. And his first argument is an appeal. Not to David's own deserts, own merits, but it is an appeal to Yahweh's glory. To his glory, which is manifested through his loving kindness, his Covenant love to David. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. The, the steadfast love translates the Hebrew word chesed. It refers to God's covenant love. Meaning, to His devoted love that pledged Himself to never let David go. Or any of us who are in the new. It is about you, oh Yahweh. I'm arguing your covenant love is at stake. That's his argument. David composed a very long psalm 
song that's recorded in 2 Samuel 22, and he ended it this way in verse 51. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows chesed, steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That word is used in the Hebrew Old Testament at least 240 times. In English, it's translated in, in English Bibles variously. Sometimes as mercy. Sometimes as kindness. Sometimes as goodness. Sometimes as loving kindness. Or steadfast love. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, in verses 5 to 6, God says, I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God visiting iniquity on the fathers and on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing chesed, steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then you remember Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God puts him in the cleft of the rock and says, I'll let it pass by you. And look directly at it. And we read this in Exodus 34, 6-7. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping chesed, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. In other words, David's prayer is something like, Save me, O Yahweh, because your faithfulness to your covenant love is at stake. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your chesed. Holding you to your word. That should give us boldness to pray biblical prayers. You see, this is much like what the Apostle John taught us. Listen to his words in 1 John 1.9. If we Christians confess our sins... If we confess we are guilty of law-breaking, He is faithful and just. Okay, if you just stop that. I did it! And He will enact justice 
seems to be my doom. But listen to what he says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. His justice is at stake. For the sake of your justice, forgive me. And if you know the gospel, you know why it's true. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he's faithful to himself, to the covenant that he enacted by the blood of his own son. And he'll never deny it. Listen now, John, a few lines later, goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 12 of 1 John, Christian, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The glory of who He is. Of His name is at stake in forgiving all who fled for refuge in Christ. Before Christ like David or after so David's argument in his prayer, it rests on God's promise in the covenant. And that's why the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the character of God is so important in the Christian life, in the Christian life of prayer. To know who he is. And to know what he has bound himself to be for all who are in Christ Jesus. That's his first argument. I'm, I'm asking you to do it for the sake of your covenant love. And then his second argument is about God's glory being Praised here on earth. Verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And she'll, who will give you praise? She'll refers to the place of the dead. No longer walking in mortality on this earth. And so David is saying, if you don't deliver me and my enemies get to me and kill me, then I won't be here on earth to praise you. He finds that a valid argument. I won't be here to exalt your name in song. What drives David to pray such a way is because he knew the meaning of life. He knows the meaning of existence for all creatures is the glory of God. 
extended through mercy to him, David, and to other creatures. He knew that he exists to the praise, for the praise, in order to praise the glory of his grace. The way Paul put it three times in Ephesians 1. There's a worldview. There's a theology in David's argument that's meant to be preeminent in all Christians' lives. As we are still breathing on this side of death, the reason for our existence is not in order to make a living. The reason for our existence is not to be the best mom or dad possible. It is not in order to ascertain the best education available. It is not in order to excel at our given talent in a sport or art. It is... And we are in Christ for the purpose of the praise of His glory. From whom all blessings flow. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Lord, deliver me, for in death there is no remembrance of you. Who's going to reflect you? Shield, who will give you praise? And then his third argument is simply this. He just gets explicit about his misery. Verses six and seven. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night, I flood my bed with tears. I trench my couch with weeping. Lord, my eye waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. In other words, God, I'm emotionally at my wit's end. I'm exhausted. How long? That's his argument. Save me because of this. How is that an argument, though? And actually, the better way to put it is, why does God want us to hear David say that as an argument for deliver me. Now, obviously, it's not because God wants to communicate to us, hey, I don't have a clue what you're going through unless you voice it to me. He knows all things. He's not saying, unless you share your feelings with me, I don't know what you feel. So that can't be the answer. What he wants us to see is the model of David that you're to follow. And that's this. David assumes that God cares. 
And thus he's banking on the Lord being touched with pity and showing mercy to him. That's his third argument. And so if there's any lesson here then in Psalm 6, it's that we learn to argue our cases before the Father. There's a lot of emotion in Psalm 6, and yet David still makes room for rational argument. He makes his case. Lord, deliver me first because your faithfulness to me in your covenant love is at stake. Secondly, Lord, so that I can continue to exalt your name and your glory on earth right now. Let it, let it reflect through me. And thirdly, because I know you love me. I know you care. So feel my pain and show mercy. And then finally, David wraps up his prayer, showing the assurance. The assurance that, that he feels, that he finds in God. Even though the help that he's asking for has not yet come. And I say that because look at verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame. In a moment. Verse 10 shows David still looking forward to that answer of prayer. To the deliverance in that situation. But now watch, right before, in verses 8 and 9, he shows this assurance coming out of his prayer. Depart from me. So he turns from prayer to making the words. Here's his attitude. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Why? Because... The Lord has heard the sound of my crying, my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. So evildoers... You who are against me, you might as well turn tail and run right now because Yahweh is coming to chase you away. Because the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, heard my plea, and He accepts my prayer. There's His assurance. And so notice before we leave that, David said the word, with different words here. 
And it should be instructive. One kind of prayer is thanksgiving. One kind of prayer is adoration. One kind of prayer is a petition. And then there's this kind of prayer. The sound of my crying. He hears it. Sometimes all you have are tears. The Father knows exactly what they mean. Remember how Paul said this in Romans 8? Christians likewise are in the same way. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we are. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. We could say, okay, that's great. That's Psalm 6. But that's David. He, he was the king of Israel. That's true. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. And notice before verse 1, the heading of the prayer. To the choir master, to the song leader, with stringed instruments, according to the shimanith, some musical term, we don't know what it means. A song of David. Think about what that means. It means that this prayer is to be continually used in public worship of the Lord's people. Which means it's a prayer that each Christian can relate to. And ever since David's time and the recording of that prayer, oh, so many, many, many of Jesus' people have also come to the Lord with the sound of weeping. With their beds flooded with tears. And each one of us need the assurance that God will see our tears. And so, God had it done. Put it to music. Thus, you sing it, you recite it to the Lord in the midst of the congregation. King Hezekiah, he needed it. Over 200 years after David penned this prayer, we read 
from Isaiah chapter 38, these words, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith Yahweh, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh and said, Please, O Yahweh, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says Yahweh, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand the king of Assyria and will defend the city. So why shouldn't all of us lovers of Jesus follow David with heartfelt weeping when it's there and pleading before the Lord especially since we have such a great Savior of whom it is written in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his Lord, we thank you for this wonderful covenant purchased by the blood of your Son that has brought us into the family of the Godhead through adoption, through mercy, through grace. And that our hope is now and always in your glory, extended through the gospel of your Son in the forgiveness of our sins 
and in the surety of all the promises of your love and your care throughout whatever time we have in this life, which is all pointing to the true life to come in the resurrection. You are good, O Lord, and may we never be ashamed to cry to you in happiness or to cry to you in misery and pain. Because with David, we know you care and thus you hear to the glory of your Son. Amen. Amen. Let us stand.